Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting, extraordinary episode of Battle of the Atom. This is the podcast every single Monday where I, Zach Jenkins, and my darling co-host Adam Reck come together and we look at three, count them, one, two, trace X-Men stories. And then we, we don't decide, we just happen to distill of all the other X-Men stories where these belong on our ever-increasing list from best to worst X-Men stories of all time. Adam, how are you doing today? I am good, and I am very glad that uh, I am in my own body and that I have not traded bodies with somebody else because today we are talking about body swap X-Men stories. <laughs> and just We're reading these Freaky made Fridays. me wonder. Yeah, Freaky Fridays. And like, you know, I've never really given it much thought, but I'm very glad that I, I never had that experience and never will, hopefully, because... Um, I don't know. It, it seems like it would be very uncomfortable. <laughs> it's the weirdest trope that continues to happen in media. Cause oh, like yeah. it hasn't been a unique thing since like the fifties <laughs> somewhere around there, but it's, yeah, at the very least. Yeah. It is just nuts that it keeps being, Keeps being this storyline that just pops up and pops up and pops up. But do you know who made it pop up? Well, didn't Disney just announce they're doing another Freaky Friday, I think? Um, I, I, I think they're doing yet, yet another one. <laughs> I keep as far away from Disney's children slash tween movie announcements as possible. So <laughs> See, I, I know about all this stuff because I have an eight-year-old. So, uh, yeah. you know, I'm like, I'm hip to whatever the new project is. See, I'm at the point where I've got a two-year-old who is only exposed to one of two things. A, what YouTube tells him exists, which hmm. is a dangerous proposition. And two, <laughs> what we tell him exists. There you go. That's a, but, it's good. But so do you know why this with that episode, do you know why this episode exists? Oh, was this a this was a request, I'm assuming? Yes. Like everything else we do, this has been a request. This one coming from a Patreon supporter, Josh Bowers. So Josh, thanks, Bo. Bro? Did I say Bo or Bro? Well, I did both. His last name is Bowers. So you just kind of shortened yeah. it, you know? Yeah, Joshy Bo. <laughs> We've given you a nickname, Josh. Hope I'm, you like it. I I can't imagine he will. <laughs> He's going to love it. I, I promise. Well, apparently, Joshibo here loves the first story on our list today, which is Ultimate Spider-Man 66 and 67, which doesn't have a title, but I think the title of the second issue is better, called Jump the Shark. <laughs> yeah, the first issue is is titled Even We Don't Believe This, um, which tells yes. you a lot about what the approach to these two issues are. <laughs> Well, let's 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 step this one or two steps back here. Mm -hmm. Adam, what do you what's your relationship with the ultimate Spider-Man, Peter Parker? 
I, I think I've read probably like the first 25 issues or so of this and I, you know, I, I really enjoy it, but I don't think I ever got this deep into the run. Um, how about, I know you like love this, right? This was a, a beloved title for you. It's a title, the, like that first 25 ish issues, whatever, like three ish or four trades of it are, yeah, are something that are some of the earliest comics I remember really reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went back probably three years and decided I should read this series from the beginning. And I just read through everything on this series. Like it's a good, quick read. It's very fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's written by Brian Michael Bendis. And the art on these two issues, like most of the issues in Ultimate Spider-Man, is by Mark Begley. Mm-hmm. And Bagley. Did I say Begley? Man, me and me and pronunciation today just – Buttonheads. Art by Ed Bagley Jr. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure M Bags will appreciate you calling him that. Sorry, Mark. Uh, Scott Hanna does the inks and JD Smith does the colors on this. This is a story that Brian Michael Bendis makes a point in the uh, recap text to say that Nick Lowe pitched to him, <laughs> where the teenage Peter Parker switches bodies. With the very adult Logan Wolverine of the Ultimate X-Men. And as we pointed out in, I think, every time we've touched Ultimate X-Men, Ultimate Wolverine is just a creepy dude. <laughs> I'm glad you he just said that. is, right? Well, well you can't not. Yeah, I think when, when we got into, we've talked about Ultimate x-men twice now and i think especially in the first arc we got into you know how big of a point they make gene being of age in that story so that it doesn't seem like ultimate wolverine is uh you know uh you know statutory rape uh accusations flying around perhaps um this storyline also kind of touches on some very weird things and maybe it's just because like i'm not as familiar with ultimate wolverine as i am with regular wolverine but you know i can't tell how old he is and and old enough to not be trying to hook up with a 16 year old and just say well you know if i am in 16 year old's body i'm just gonna make the most of it that part's uh, creepy. Yeah, because there's some weird stuff with Mary Jane. There's there's some stuff with some cheerleaders here, and it's uncomfortable. <laughs> I think it's important. I think it's incredibly important to note here that Ultimate Wolverine is in no way portrayed as a moral figure or someone to be looked up to in this story. He is, in no. fact, the villain. Yes. Yes. Like, I mean, the part of this that I guy. like... Oh, big time. I mean, what I like about the Wolverine in Peter's body uh, is the whole bit about, okay, well, Peter really wants uh, Wolverine to go to school in his body. Oh, yeah. It's just like, no way am I just going to go to school. And I think that is really funny. Like, there is something deeply funny about this storyline from the from the way that Bendis approaches it to, you know, how it plays itself. But you know, like that core concept I think is very amusing. Yeah. There's, there's some skeevy moments in it. And I think part of that's intentional. I'm not sure how much of that would really fly in the year of our Lord 2018, but Mm. like, I I mean, 
the Ultimates was supposed to be edgy. You know what I mean? Right? Like, wasn't that part of the pitch for the Ultimate Universe? It was, was, it it was, was supposed be to be a little updated. More real? Okay, okay. And part of it I get. And frankly, Ultimate Wolverine was always just a garbage human person. Like, he does try and murder Cyclops more than once while they're teammates yeah. and friends. And isn't, but isn't, aren't the ultimates kind of like that too? Like it's the Avengers, but they're all jerks, right? Yes. Like, I don't know what, what I, a I lot just... of people, what a lot of people do in fact miss about the ultimates in rereading. And I believe, uh, Abraham Breesman did a really good piece, uh, for Vulture about this is that the ultimates weren't supposed to be a hundred percent, like taken at face value. This is what heroes should be. They are, in fact, a critique of post 9-11 America and the attitudes, therefore. I think as time has moved away from that moment, that all, that uh, that has not become as apparent. Like they mm. aren't they aren't yeah. necessarily supposed to be taken at face value. Mark Millar has done a lot of questionable to bad stuff in his career and stuff that I don't want to read again. But he was he wasn't just straight saying, oh, no, these are what good guys look like now, everyone. (laughs) That's definitely true. Um, I think what does pay off here is the um, the body confusion humor that is happening with both of them. You know, um, something. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, you know, all this stuff about Peter's hands being, you know, sticky and Wolverine not knowing how to deal with it. Peter and Wolverine's body is constantly either stabbing himself or chopping off a telephone. You know, like it's I think that's the stuff that is just goofy and funny and uh, slapstick that, that works really well here. Well, I think I think what works the best and what probably sums up this story the best is the title page to issue 67, the second issue of this where Brian Michael Bendis is putting his editor in a chokehold and saying, this was a bad idea. Why did you make me do this? This is ridiculous. (laughs) Even I can't milk six issues out of it. Yeah, this is going to be a quick one. We're just going to get in and out here. Um, And, uh, you know, I hands uh applause to bagley because i think you know a a big part of why this works is because his art is great you know it really pairs well um with this writing style um and i just i I think that part of the story is really good you know it fits with the comedy of of the series what i what i think Um, m bags does really well here is the body language because there mm -hmm. is a very specific difference between his Spider-Man when Peter's in that body versus when Logan is in that body and vice versa. Like there is, Mm -hmm. there is the whole George Reeves, Superman, Clark Kent thing where yes, you get that it's the same person, but he treats it so much differently that you can immediately see a difference. It's, it's very well done. Uh, There's a reason why Mark is one of the best in the business because He's good. Yeah, he's really good. Um, all right. So I think that's pretty much all we have to say I about mean, this, it, right? I mean, it's not like there's a, a lot of depth no. or, uh, you know, commentary. About it's a this. nothing to issues. Um, it's yeah, fine. it's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, where do we rank it? Oh, geez. Um, you know, I, I've read it. I don't know that I'm going to, you know, jump back and really get excited about reading it again, but it's well done. It does have that, that little bit of skeevy factor with the ultimate Wolverine. Um, but nothing that is, you know, ruining the experience mm-hmm. for me. So um, I don't know. I is mean, it better or worse than Ecstatics Back from the Dead slash Die Another Day? Hmm. Um, that's kind of tough. I mean, I feel like at least that that story was definitely trying to push an envelope a mm-hmm. lot more. Um, and then we I think we both agreed that that was unsuccessful yes. in, in the way that it was, you know, trying to actually pull that off. Um, this is I think for the most part, this is pretty successful. It does exactly what it sets out to do and tell a goofy story. I think it does it successfully. Um, below that, we have Spidey and the X-Men. Um which I think this is more successful than that too. I don't know that I think this is more successful than the juggernaut story from silver age X-Men though. Um, what, what do you juggernaut think? Story is pretty good. Like as far as silver, age, yeah, it's as far as silver age X-Men goes, that one is near the top of the list. So I think, I think that's a fair yeah. spot to throw it uh, because I think, I think I the agree. big, differentiating feature between this and that ecstatic story is that this does understand exactly how much plot it has and says, we're, Mm -hmm. we're not going to do it. Oh, by the way, we didn't mention this. They switched bodies because Wolverine was being creepy to Jean gray. And she said, I'm just going to put you the place where you (laughs) least want to be. Yeah. It does hinge on the fact that, that Wolverine is being sexually creepy and, um, he needs to be punished for it. Unfortunately, that leads to him being sexually creepy to other characters. But, um, you know, it ultimate gets Wolverine's going to ultimate quickly. Wolverine. And this ultimate Sp- Spider-Man story is going to be yeah. the new number 63 on our list. So that's fun. Next up, nice. we have. Yeah. Well, it's fun. You know, it's we have another silly story, a spiritual sequel to this. This is all new Wolverine annual number one. Written by uh, Tom Taylor with art by Marcio Takara and colors by Matt Loops. Uh, this is a fun story. I like and it. this is I like it a lot. This is so much. Fun. I like it from the. Me too. And I think like from the Reservoir Dog Dogs cover on Go the ahead. front to everything inside. Oops. It's just Great. This is a story where Laura Kinney, Wolverine, Gabby, Honey Badger, Jonathan, a Wolverine, and Spider Gwen Stacy team up. They Wolverine and Spider Gwen body swap. And they have to have those kind of fun adventures. And mm-hmm. it's a fun adventure. Oh, it's so silly. It's pretty much the same exact premise as what we were just describing. Beat for beat. Um except and different characters. Creepy. Yeah. Um I I like this a lot though. Yeah, it's uh it's really good. So the whole premise of it is that Spider-Gwen and Wolverine switch bodies. Only Spider-Gwen is in Earth 65, the Spider-Gweniverse, and Wolverine is in regular Wolverine world. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of have to figure out how to switch back bodies. It turns out the Hornet uh 
yeah. who was a someone who took over one of Spider-Man's secret identities when Spider-Man had secret identities, got murdered by Wolverine, as many people do, and the Hornet's uh, niece, I think? I want to say niece. That sounds right. Close enough that, that right. Like the death would impact them, but not yeah. close enough that it would ruin their lives. Uh, she decides to become a new Hornet and switch Wolverine's bodies Except for Wolverine, uh, just it's the wrong Wolverine and everything gets all messed up, but it's fun. <laughs> spider Gwen continues yeah. what I think is a great spider Gwen trope where she envisions uh, spider ham. But instead, yes, but spider instead ham. of being regular <laughs> spider ham, it's Wolverhampton, which they specify is a bad joke about a town in England because the only pun she can think of. <laughs> Oh, there's so much little uh, detail work like that throughout here. Um, I think we were just complimenting uh, Bagley on his character work and, and the acting that he's doing and his drawing. And Takara here is doing a on, does does an amazing job with uh, casting the characters swapped into each other's bodies and their their language, the way they sit, the way they interact. Um, just the first couple of pages where they're figuring out that they're in each other's bodies are just very, very funny. Even if you take away all the dialogue and you just watch the panels, um, you know, seeing Laura try and uh, shoot out or jump out her window and, and shoot a web and then fly into a car um, and then have Gwen Stacy, uh, you know, backing up as drummer for the Mary Janes and throw the drumsticks through the, the snare. I mean, it's just very good physical comedy um, and it works really well. Even if like this bit with the Hornet is, is you know, just a way to explain the story. It, does. it makes for a it very, does. very fun. We also shot. in this issue get Spider Gwen in Wolverine's body, stabbing herself in the head. Which is a great beat. She's just mm -hmm. so ready Off for panel. the fight, and then she snicked, and it goes through yeah. her skull. And then Wolverine, in Spider-Gwen's <laughs> body, has to, like, okay, we got to remove the claws so her brain can heal, so she can be alive. We can't deal with this. What are you thinking? You have knives in your arms. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they kind of have to teach each other how to use each other's powers, you know, like um, Laura in Spider Gwen's body is trying to throw herself as a body shield. And, you know, they have to remind each other that, you know, Spider Gwen's body isn't invulnerable, um, you know, use your web here. So I, I like that there's that uh, that just, you know, dialogue between the two characters yeah, to try and figure out fun. what to do. And Gabby's how to solve great the in this. Jonathan, the Wolverine is great in this. This is a good, fun issue of mm -hmm. All New Wolverine. What I would say, and we don't have any other All New Wolverine on this list, but this isn't among my favorite things in All New Wolverine. What it does do well, though, is emphasize how good Tom Taylor was and continues to be at these fun little one-shots that express a little bit about the characters, let the characters just have an enjoyable superhero adventure and clean themselves up in one issue. He does that pretty much between every arc on his run because half of the arcs have been grim, dark and very sad and they, that levity. Yeah. I was going to say between 
between like this and the squirrel girl issue where we actually got introduced to Jonathan, um, or there's a recent issue involving Deadpool. Um, there was just, I mean, they're just delightful, fun, little one issue romps. Um, and they are set between these very, very dark explorations of Laura's past or something else that's going on with this, with the characters. It just shows what, what kind of a range this book has. Um, I think, uh, it's been announced by now that X-23 is returning as the name for all new Wolverine and that Tom Taylor's obviously staying on with X-Men Red, but this this series is ending. And, and I think it's reasonable to be sad about that. It's a great, great series. I do. I would say that I like the I like the creative team between between the X-23 book. I like what they have pitched mm-hmm. about it because what what the struggle to me is it seems like a book by its cover kind of issue because uh, uh-huh. Mariko Tamaki and Juan Cabal mm-hmm. who are taking over this book, they've done, they've done interviews about this initially. And it's, it sounds like a good continuation of what Tom Taylor has been doing and not eliminating the amazing development he's done with this character that has turned Laura mm-hmm. from a character I couldn't care less about in all honesty. Like her her solo stuff, when we get to it, it just it doesn't hit me where I live, guys. It really doesn't. Okay. To a character I really, really like. And I feel like that's gonna continue. Oh, yeah. I don't like how they're branding it. I don't like how they are, you know, just the entire package of it, I don't like. I feel like we're gonna get some really good and surprising insides to it. So I don't wanna wholesale, you know, say this book's worthless. But I am very apprehensive about it because Tom Taylor and team have done such a fabulous job with all new Wolverine. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to follow up a really good run. Um, and obviously people are going to be apprehensive when it looks like either costume designs or, you know, by reverting back to the name X-23 seems like it's regressive. And, you know, we'll see what happens. Obviously, we've got some very talented people uh, jumping onto the book. So, um, you know, we'll just have to play it by ear and see how it goes. Yeah. And just to remind everyone, we do live in the past. Like this is being recorded <laughs> like three weeks before it's going to go up. So maybe there's yeah. been something to happen to change one of our opinions. And what I'm saying is don't complain to me on Twitter about it. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> you guys, you're such meanies. You guys are so um, mean. It's the worst. It's the absolute worst. Oh. No, it's great. I think we're, we're keeping a pretty open mind I, here. I, you know. I, anyway, so I love this annual. Um, I have it in a floppy. Um, I, I reread it occasionally because it's really fun. Um, I, I really like, uh, Marcio's artwork in general. I like reading his stuff. So, uh, where, where would you like to put this? So I'm, I'm flipping through what we've got a couple of good one shots on here. Uh, mm-hmm. one place I'm looking right now is uncanny X-Men 143, the demon Christmas issue. How do you feel about that compared to this one? I think that's probably a, a, a more classic issue. I, I think that's probably better um, because, you know, it's still Claremont and Byrne team up and uh, it's a classic kitty story. Um, you know, there's some rumors that we may even get a Bendis penned movie based on that particular issue. I mean, I, I don't know what that project. Well, I don't is, think but, there's any X-Men um, movies coming out of the near future. Apparently. 
Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. By the time, at the time we're recording this, it's only a couple days after they announced that they're pushing back New Mutants by more than a year now, and they're pushing Dark Phoenix into next year too. So, wow. Are we ever going to see these movies? I, I don't know. So. Um, I really do want to see them. Like, we'll see. Yeah. Um, sign me up for that New Mutants movie, man. I'm there. But I, I, now we got to wait. <laughs> A, a lot longer anyway um yeah i think uh, uncanny 143 is is probably better uh, than well, this do you like this better than the santa claus story maybe i don't know i think that i do. santa claus story is i think good. i like this better. i know i like this better than the story that's yeah. right below this at number 46 the last will and testament of charles xavier because i think this, this gets yeah. in gets out does its job it's kind of for Getful, like this isn't this isn't the best part of Taylor's all new Wolverine. I don't even think like it's in top no. three stories so far. And that run still mm-hmm. has an entire other arc to go through that I'm very excited about. But I do like this story. Like this is still good. I Yeah, I just I really enjoy the artwork here. I like the team up. I, I you know, I like these little interstitial issues that he does that are just fun and and have a little bit of uh you know, silliness about them. So I'll leave it up to you whether you want to put it above Santa because I know you hold high, Santa in that's, high esteem. That Santa that's issue does have Dave Cockrum art. It's pretty good, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm going to I'm going to give Spider Gwen the the edge. It's going to go right above it. I okay. think it's the right place. All, All right, new Wolverine annual number one. The new number 45 on our growing and growing and growing list of every X-Men story ever. We yeah. got one left. And we still have one more body we swap do. today. Yeah. This we is have a weird Freaky one. Friday'd so many times in X-Men. We could have done several <laughs> more. Heck, do you know how many body swap stories we could have done just starring this character? Uh, probably more than a few, yeah. Like we could fill an episode for sure, uh, but I think this is this is one of the more interesting uses of body swaps stories, especially uses with long term ramifications, mm-hmm. which I think is an interesting way of doing it. This is Uncanny X Men three fourteen, early Frost. Yeah, it was written by Scott Lobdell with pencils by Lee Weeks. And inks by Bill Sienkiewicz. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Busaledo does uh, the colors for it. Busaledo. Eh, some sort of name that I'm pronouncing poorly. <sighs> anyway. Let me give it a shot. I like this. Let's one. see. I don't have it here. Hold on a sec. Who's the colorist? Bucciletto? Uh, Bucciletto. Am I That's doing right. right. Yeah. I mean, right? like I did it wrong four or five times, so I think you did it right also. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I just find this issue fascinating I, on, on multiple levels. Um, you know, I like that there is this real attempt here to try to tie together some of the very, very, I, I'm going to say weak character and plot decisions that were made during the um, Portatio run. Um, not that there's not merit in those issues. You know, obviously Bishop is is clearly a fave of mine. Um, but this issue tries to reconcile some of the things that came right out of the quote unquote X-Men gold launch. And I think it does a pretty good job of it. 
um, because here we have Emma possessing bodies, Bobby's body and essentially going on a rampage to try and come to some kind of resolution about uh, Fitzroy killing the Hellions. Yeah, uh, this is it's good. This is one of Scott Lobdell's smartest stories. Mm-hmm. This really gets into Emma, who as a character, we think of her as someone with a lot of depth and a lot of black and white. This is the first seeds of that. We've only yes. ever seen her as the evil sex queen of the Hellfire Club and the evil principal of the Hellions. That's been mm-hmm. her role in X-Men up to this point in 1994. She's been in a coma yeah. for like two years. Mm-hmm. This is such an interesting way to view Emma because you finally start to see that she has a she has a facet to her that we have not been exposed to that, you know, we might have used to see her as the evil version of Charles Xavier's with her evil new mutants. But she cared about those kids. <laughs> she cared about that school. Yeah. And it's Yeah, if you look at uh at, at Xavier and the New Mutants as like Gem and the Holograms, you know, <laughs> White Queen is the misfits. Um, and here we actually get to start to see the depth behind that relationship. Um, The other thing we get here, which is really interesting, and you were talking about ramifications for later, is that because Emma is in Bobby's body, she starts to use his powers in ways that Bobby has never thought to. And we start to realize that Iceman could be something much, much more powerful than what we have seen up until this point and which, you know, I think Bendis really ran with uh, in his run. So I, I like that we get a little bit of an exploration as to that as well. It's fascinating. We do. And to no fault of this stories, because I think it's an incredibly interesting hook. That mm-hmm. is an aspect of Bobby that I think has led to some weird character development over the last, let's say 10 years, because you you for a while had, okay, Bobby has all this potential, but right. the next story that you tell is, well, Bobby reaches his potential. And I think it was very mm. smart of Cena Grace that he ended his run. While Bobby was better at being Iceman than he was previously, he wasn't the Ice God. He was just right. more comfortable with where he was at. He was more okay with, mm-hmm. hey, maybe, maybe if I don't reach my full potential, that's fine as long as I'm happy with myself. As long as I'm okay sure. with me. And I think that's – I think that whole Bobby could you know, freeze the entire world thing, I think it has <laughs> a lot of merit and it has a lot of ability for some cool stories. But it also has ability for a lot of really annoying message board fights and a lot of <laughs> regression like you get with like uh, Bobby's counterpart on the uh, Fantastic Four, the Human Torch. Every single Johnny Storm story is Johnny's irresponsible. Johnny learns how to be responsible. Johnny's irresponsible again. Johnny learns how to be responsible again. And we've done it for 50 years. And this mm-hmm. Iceman, this Iceman thing has the potential and has in the past been that. Yeah. That's a rant. Um, I, did, I also. Yeah. Poof. No, I, I'm glad you went on it because, you know, it's it's one of those character things where, you know, you can start to see potential. But when you superpower a character up enough um, where 
they can literally just be this omnipotent God thing. You know, it's sort of like the, the paradox with Superman as to, all right, well, what do you throw up against him? You know, um, because what makes it interesting? What makes it a, a, an actual conflict if, if he's so superpowered that nothing can hurt him? Um, so uh, I definitely appreciate where you're coming from. I think another thing that really makes me like this issue, and this is just my own personal uh, bias here, is that we get a really good Bishop and, and Jubilee scene um, with the danger room. Mm-hmm. And we get uh, we get a little scene about Bishop's sister, Shard. And is this the first um, time we who, see Shard? I think it is. I believe it is. Um, and I, I love Sienkiewicz's inks here over Lee. Lee Weeks is doing a great job with the storytelling here, but I love Sienkiewicz's inks. Um, he pops up a couple times in this era, um, inking over Kubert uh, in, in some places. And, and here he's inking over Weeks. I just really like the artwork here. And I, I like this interaction. It's a, it's a testament to how freaking good Bill Sienkiewicz is that I can tell when he's the inker. Like inking, inking oh, is yeah. an underrated skill in comics, underrated to the point that I won't even claim to know necessarily what an inker always brings to a table and what an inker's decision was versus a colorist versus the penciler. Like I'm not, I'm not gifted enough in art to tell you who did what where. I can tell you when Sinkevich brought something. And that's not to diminish Lee Weeks because Lee Weeks is an all-star fabulous artist in his own right. And he does very well in this mm-hmm. issue, especially with stuff like the redesign of Bobby that Emma does. Which, yeah. Fun fact about that redesign. Yeah. Do you know the only reason they did it? Uh, I do not. Because the Toy Biz people oh, thought Bobby out. needed a new toy. Oh my They God. thought he needed a new toy. <laughs> so what they did, and I, I don't know if this was Lee Weeks who actually did the design or if it was Joe Matt or somebody. Mm-hmm. I know th- I my mind is a little woozy on that. But they said, well, let's just do a Bobby redesign that they're just not going to make into a toy. Let's just let's just do that. Let's say we've got 90s X-Men money. We can do what we want. That's so funny. And now you can you can definitely go and buy the toy of Emma Bobby. That's so cool. I didn't yeah, know that, if, but if that makes sense with the toy biz stuff that was going on back then. Yeah. If there's one downside of this being a body swap issue, I don't even think this is a downside of this issue as a whole. I think just in comparison to the other stories that we're doing, this isn't really a Bobby story. This is a story that Lobdell uses later to inform Bobby's character, especially in some of the road trip stuff that him and Rogue go on. Right. Yeah, this is a possession story as opposed to a swap. Um, Yes. I I also want to note real quick that I think this also does a very good job of of seeding the very earliest hints of generation X because Banshee yes. is involved in this particular issue as well. And, you know, it starts what is that you know, friendly yet adversarial relationship that he has with Emma. So um, I like that that's popping up here as well. Well, when did they start promoting Gen X? Because that was the first X book since the 92 relaunch. Hmm. So I know, question. and I know they did, they did a lot. This issue came out in July and I, I know that there was a comic that came out specifically for, I think it was SDCC. Uh-huh. And that was the only place you could get it for the longest time. They reprinted it in a, uh, I think it was a thing called X-Men Rarities in the later 90s. But it was like the first issue quotes of Generation X. And that had to be around, I guess this would have been a couple months it, beforehand. It is. But because they, they is... knew it was coming. 
this is 314 and Fowling's Covenant starts in 316. So, you know, we're right on the the verge of it, but I, I do like that it's in there. You know, I like that it's not something that happens suddenly. Um, oh, the, yeah, it feels like a real development. Yeah, it does. It feels um, it, it feels organic. So uh, where, where would you rank this one? So I'm looking around. I like this story a lot. I do. The too. more I remember, it's, it's pretty darn good. Yeah. Uh, I think it's definitely better than X Force 19 through 24 Assault on Grey Malkin, which is at 31 right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's better than Generation X Volume 1, 1 through 3, which is at number 15 right now. So that yeah. gives us a good, good area of the list to mess with. Uh, what are your thoughts on it compared to. Uh, I'm going to say something that's going to make a lot of people mad examinations at 24. I don't know if I would go that high. Um, I think examinations is an interesting comparison though, because this really is sort of like a, a, a physical uh, exploration of Emma's psyche, um, you know, with what she's doing outwardly. But um, I don't think I like this as much as um, the first six issues of, of X factor volume three giant size X-Men number one and not, more than cable and hope um or even x-men and alpha flight i i think i would probably rank it right above further adventures of cyclops and phoenix yeah um, that was going to be my floor right there because yeah. i do not think it's i do not think further adventures is better than that no but i can i can concede pretty much all those other points i mean look x-men alpha flight i know you are a bigger fan than me but it does have that good good paul smith art yeah yeah, I mean, and this has this has some really great art in it too. I just, I really like um, all things Asgardian Wars, and uh, I, really? I like those two issues. But if you want to uh, put it higher, uh, where how high would you go? I mean, look, I'm gonna be real honest. It's already slotted in on the list as the new number twenty four. So I think that's where it just has to stay for eternity? Question mark. So you put it above examinations. Did I say 24? I'm bad with yeah. words. I put it oh, at 29. Okay. Oh, okay. Perfect. Yeah, That's great. it's right between X-Men and Alpha Flight and Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, which is a good showing. Yeah, absolutely. It's really a good standalone issue. And that does it. That's three up, three down. Uh, first off, I want to, again, thank Josh Bowers for submitting this whole concept to us of swapping bodies. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of good stories there. If you want to be just like Josh or any of our Patreon supporters, you can go over to XavierFiles.com and click on the link that says support us or just go to Patreon.com slash XavierFiles, which is the link I normally say to go to. And at the $2 a month level, you can get your own story just just thrown on in there with your own X-Men everything, which is a real cool to do. Uh, we've got some really fun things coming. I'll tell you, the list is getting long. We've it got a good, good backlog coming. So <laughs> if you've got a story you want, get it in and we will uh, we will make that happen. Uh, beyond that, everything Xavier Files related is coming from me at XavierFiles.com where I do weekly – what are they called? Articles about different X-Men characters. Got this podcast. Also, most excitingly is the Xavier Files zine which, as we're recording this, literally just came out yesterday. And oh, it turned out great, Zach. I'm so happy that 
Like, here's the thing about the zine. Here is the real thing about the zine. I think I have stuff on, like, six pages, if that. And that's counting me writing out the credits. This is not a thing that I did. This is a thing that this community of weird X-Men people who have formed over the last few years have come together, put together, and done. And it's the coolest thing to see that all in one place, in one piece. There is some fabulous work, some incredibly funny fan comics, uh, great articles, cool pinups. It's a blast. So that is available to you. On uh, on Gumroad, I'm sure I'll throw a link in the as mentioned for this episode. You can go if you want a digital copy of it. It's absolutely free. It's pay what you want, but I want you to pay zero. So go do that. You owe it to yourself. It's literally nothing to do. Uh, if you want a physical copy, right now they are still available. Uh, essentially, I'm going to make them physically available until everything I've printed it goes away and then we'll see what demand does on some of that stuff. But that right now is available for $10 that covers printing on this nice fancy glossy paper, full color, uh, getting shipped out to you. Uh, and it'll be, it's really cool. I got those coming in soon. Actually, probably about when you listen to this episode, the physical zines will be sent out. So that's great. Ooh, that's exciting. I'm just really happy. I mean, for all the same reasons that you just said, like, I love that there is this, uh, this great community and everything that I love about zine making is totally represented by this publication. So uh, kudos to you, Zach. It was great. Uh, I just want to point out this publication does have multiple comic strips in it where maggot and his maggots eeny and meanie take the role of john arbuckle in one garfield t cat you're welcome (laughs) it's beautiful and i love it and i don't know why it's not something that's in the back of every x-men oh yeah i don't know maybe we'll make maybe i'll make some more (laughs) maybe i'm hey 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 jordan white now follows me on twitter so you can just you can just like (laughs) i'll I'll say hey jordan 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 we're mutuals we're mutuals put this in every x-men comic i'm sure that cb sabolsky will let you do this bad bad Let's see if we can get away with it, right? Your Twitter, right. Because the, the plugs have gone on for so long, you can find me at Xavier Files on Twitter. Adam, where can people find you online? Uh, well, guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy and new pages of Vision Jubes uh, go up every Monday at adamrec.tumblr.com. Um, I think by this point, where when this is coming out, it'll be several weeks since Grimlock uh stormed into the world uh of, of the x-men which i'm so excited about um and I'm trying to keep under wraps but i i just keep telling people it's just gonna get keep getting crazier um page after page so stay tuned it's gonna be fun it's gonna be fun next week on battle of the atom we have a exciting set of stories all about the brood so you know tune in check check it out Till then, this has been Bally Adam. We hope you survive the experience. Get it!